0: Well, good morning. Well, let's get the introduction out of the way. My name is Chris Lovell. I'm the head men's basketball coach at East Texas Baptist University, and when I'm not on the basketball court, I travel the country, and uh, I think I'm doing 11 camps this summer of students uh, from everywhere, from New York to Florida. I mean, everywhere. And so, uh, I love investing in young people's lives. I believe that. Uh, God got a hold of my heart when I was a teenager, it radically changed to me, and uh, it's exciting to see what He's doing across the country this summer. In the last three weeks, I've seen the Lord literally save uh, over 500 and something people in the last three weeks. I believe God's up to something. And um, I'm excited to be with you this morning. Um, So just uh, quickly, um, I do have a wife, her name's Amanda, she's not here this morning, she's in Memphis with her family celebrating uh, the 4th, and um, I have uh, three boys, Uh, Paxton is 17, uh, Bowman is 15, and Carrington is 11, uh, going on 21. Okay, good. So we got all that done. Oh, and I do have a dog, um, and um, our dog's name is Bipsy, um, so very different kind of name. Uh, but this morning with all that aside, I want to talk to you about one word. And the one word I want to talk to you about this morning is the word commitment. Now all of you have uh, experience with this word. Uh, whether you have uh, been in a committed relationship before, if you've committed to be a part of a team or a job, uh, there are all kind of things that we commit to in life. But this morning what I want to do is talk to you about biblical commitment. And so this morning I want to give you a definition of commitment so we're all on the same page and then we'll just kind of jump into the scripture together and see what God does. But here's a, here's a definition. Commitment really has nothing to do with your feelings or your emotions or your circumstances. But commitment has everything to do with you doing what you said you're going to do to the person or the thing that you said it to. And so this morning, I just want to talk about what that looks like, because our world has killed the meaning of this word. Our world has told us as long as it's good for you, stay committed. As long as your circumstances are favorable, stay committed. But the minute they're not in your favor, it becomes hard or it becomes difficult to quit. And so we live in in a culture where commitment is not experienced the way that it was meant to be experience. So I'll give you an example. I was a high school basketball coach before I became a college basketball coach. And one of the things that I did not enjoy about being a high school basketball coach were tryouts. We have tryouts and then you have to cut kids. I didn't like that at all. Never wanted to kill a kid's dream. You know what I mean? And uh, the last year I was at Preston Wood Christian Academy as the head basketball coach. We had just sent Julius Randall to Kentucky, had just been drafted by the Lakers. And we were kind of in a rebuild and we had 70 prospective student athletes come out and trial for 12 roster spots. Well, that's, that just means there's a lot of upset people at the end of the process and even more upset parents if they didn't make it. And so that week we have tried. Some of our kids have been working all year to make the team. And I'll never forget, I had to go to my office at the end of that week. I had to write down 12 names. And that I thought gave us a chance not just to compete nationally, but to win a state championship. And I went and I posted that list on the locker room door. And if your name was on that list, it meant that you made the team. If your name was not on the list, it meant that you didn't make the team. And that afternoon, I brought all those 12 uh, student athletes that made the team into my office one by one. And I brought them in one by one. I slid across my desk a commitment contract. Now that contract said something like this, I'm paraphrasing, obviously I don't have it in front of me, but that commitment contract said this, is that I, with a blank for their name, I'm committing to be a part of the men's basketball program at Prestonwood Christian Academy. I'm committing to be at every weight training session, every film session, every community service project, every practice, and every game until the season ends. And I will stay committed to the team whether I play all the minutes or no minutes, whether my parents think the coach likes me or not, whether I think the coach likes me or not. And then at the bottom, there was a line for them to put their autograph to commit to these things. And then there was another line for their parents to autograph, which is very important, that they would support them in that commitment. Well, it would never fail. Three months into practice, kids are really smart. They start figuring out who's going to play and who's not going to play. They start figuring out what their role is going to be on the team. All of a sudden, circumstances, feelings, emotions get involved, all right? I always got a knock on my door. Coach Lovell, can I talk to you? Sure, come in. Have a seat. What's going on? Well, Coach, I've been seeing how practice has been going lately. And I figured out, you really don't need me to win this year. Now, that's a really nice way of saying I quit. And so you know what I did? I reached behind my desk and I pulled the file folder out that had their name on it. And I opened that file folder out and I pulled the commitment contract out. Who keeps those things? I slid it across the desk and I go, hey, man, is that your autograph right there on this piece of paper? He looked at it. Yes, sir. I said, okay. And then sure enough, y'all won't believe this. His mama started calling me in the meeting. I can't believe you're not going to let Johnny quit the team. You know what I did? These things are pretty cool, by the way. I, I took a picture of the commitment contract with my phone, and I texted it to her. And I put in my message, is this your signature? And you know how the three little dots or go until you get the I love that part. I was just waiting on the response, right? And the response came back, Yes, that's my signature. Of course she'd be lying if she said no, because it was her signature. And I responded, I'll see your son at three thirty today. Because see, commitment really has nothing to do with your feelings, your emotions, your circumstances, but it has everything to do with you doing what you said you were going to do to the person or the thing that you said it to. And this morning on this 4th of July holiday weekend when we celebrate the freedoms that we have in America, aren't you glad that you can sit in a pew freely this morning and understand how committed Jesus was to you? And it's because of his commitment to you that you are able to know him in a relationship and enter heaven one day if you've dealt with your situation, your sin situation. And it's funny, but in the Bible, all throughout the Bible, it talks about this kind of commitment. And so this morning, I want to take you to a place in the book of Ephesians chapter 5. We'll be reading in verses 15 through 17. But I want to take you here and I want to paint a picture while you're turning in your Bibles to get there. What's going on? Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus. And this church had become, I know this never happens to y'all, but this church had become busy. They had become distracted. And so Paul writes a letter to remind them of what their commitment to Jesus should look like, of what their commitment to the Lord should be. And so I don't know if y'all were ever bold print studiers when you were in college or high school, but if you were just to skim the book of Ephesians before we get into our text and just see the reminders that Paul has given the church, here's what he's reminding them of. In chapter 2, he reminds them of what it means to be made alive in Christ. He talks to them about what it means to be one in Christ. In chapter 3, he talks to them about the importance of praying for the church and for their people. And in chapter 4, he talks to them about the unity of the body of Christ and what it means to live as children of light. And in chapter 5, his first sentence in chapter 5 and verse 1 is to that we should be imitators of God. And so this whole book of the Bible is a reminder... He's admonishing them, encouraging them to remember what their commitment to God should look like because they were busy and they were distracted. And where we pick up the letter is in in chapter five, starting in verses 15, going through verse 17. It just says this. It says, be very careful then how you live. He says, don't live as an unwise person. He says, but rather live as a wise person. Verse 16, making the most of every opportunity you have. Why? Because the days are evil. Verse 17, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is for your life. Three things this morning to be reminded about our commitment to Christ. The first thing is this, if you're taking notes, your life matters. You can write it down and take it to the bank. Your life matters. Matters. Look at what Paul says here in verse 15. The first thing he says be very careful then how you live. He says, be very careful how you live because Paul knew that the way they were living did not reflect what their commitment should be. So he said, hey, be very careful how you live because how you live your life speaks volumes to a lost world about how important God is in your life or how unimportant God is in your life. And Paul understood that people watch what we do way more than they listen to what we say. In fact, James would say that faith without action is dead. And so Paul understood that. So he says, be very careful how you live. But then he explains to us what he's talking about. And he says right here in verse 15, don't live unwisely. Don't live as an unwise person. Do you know what it meant to live unwisely when this was written? If you read commentaries on this passage and study it, what you'll find out, to live unwisely meant that you lived your whole life neglecting the worth of your soul to God. That's what it meant to live unwisely. That somehow you will live your whole life and not understand how valuable your eternity is to him. That you can live your whole life and not understand how much your life matters. You say, well, Chris, how much does my life matter? Well, I'll just take you to more scripture. In John chapter three, verse 16, for God so loved you, In your life, in your eternity, that he gave his one and only son, which is Jesus, that whosoever believes in him doesn't have to perish, but that they can have everlasting life. That's how much your life matters. And in fact, to just help you understand it, when we're born, we're all born sinful. And listen to what I'm about to say. You're not bad because of that. You understand? It's a sin situation we all have to deal with because of Adam and Eve. So here I am, Chris. I'm born sinful. And here's my sin. And it separates me from a holy God. Because God is holy, he can have nothing to do with sin. He has never known sin, nor has he ever committed a sin. So My sinful life and his holiness are incompatible. They don't work together. And the sin separates me from him. And so what we do our whole lives, a lot of us, is we try to get to God on our own. We're like, hey, God, if I just go to church every Sunday, surely you're going to let me into heaven. And so we try. Or, God, if I just fix this behavior in my life and clean up my life, surely you're going to let me into heaven. God, if I'm just a good person, I mean, surely I'm not as bad as that person over there or that person over there. Surely you'll let me in to heaven. And so what we do is we're like, God, but I'm accomplished in my job. But, God, I I do a lot of good things. I mean, God, I believe in you and everything, but the Bible says that even the demons believe in in God. And the Bible says that on the last days, many will say, but Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy? Did I not preach in your name? Did I not go to church in your name? Did I go on a mission trip in your name? Did I not study the word in your name? Was I not nice to people in your name? And he'll say, depart from me for I never knew you. Why? They never dealt with their sin situation. They're incompatible. And so every single one of us has this situation. And and we're trying to get to God, we're trying to get to God, and here's God over here, and he looks at his creation. Because he loves you, and he loves me, and we're created in the image of God, he looks at the situation, he goes, you know what? I'm going to give them a way out. And because you matter so much to him, he allows Jesus to come to this earth Live a perfect life and not sin, by the way, unlike me. And then he kills his own son. So he doesn't have to kill us. And then he put him in a tomb. You know the story. On the third day, he rose from the dead, right? And then the disciples are sitting at a table eating, and he shows up in his resurrected state, yet some of them still doubted, is what the scripture says. And so they were allowed to touch the holes in his hands, in the the spear hole in his side where they had crucified him, and they'd stuck him to make sure he was dead. And they believed, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we know that he appeared to more than 500 in his resurrected state. And so he did exactly what he said he was gonna do. And so here's God looking at me over there in my situation, in your situation, and he crucifies Jesus. He raises him from the dead as the perfect sacrifice and he shoves that cross down over our sin. And the Bible says that if we'll believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord and confess with our mouths, we will be saved. And what are you saved from? You're saved from hell. What do you save from the penalty of your sin? But what do you get? You get to walk over that cross and find forgiveness because of what Jesus did for you. You get to walk over that cross into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you get to walk over that cross into heaven one day. For Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes unto the Father except through me. And you say, how much does your life matter? It matters that much. I've got three kids. And um, when I'm not on the road, I'll go and check on them um, before I go to sleep. They go to bed a lot earlier than me still. Um, They're going to outdo me eventually. I know this, but. But it's, I do some of my best work late at night. So before I go to sleep, I'll walk into their rooms to check on them. I'm not like Creeper Dad. I just like my kids, okay? And I'll go into my 17 year old's room, Paxton. He's going to be a senior next year. He's six foot four and he's long and lanky and he's all sprawled out over his bed. And I'll go over there at night and I'll put my hand right on his chest just to feel him inhale. And exhale. why do I do that Because he matters to me? And then I go into Bowman's room, my freshman, and I'll go into his room, and any of y'all ugly sleepers, Bowman's just an ugly sleeper, OK? Mouth open, a little drool sucking the life out of the place. I mean, that's my guy. And I go into Bowman's room and I'll get right up to, to, to his mouth. It's wide open. I'll just put my ear down. he's like, <gasps> I know he's okay. Why do I do that? Because he matters to me. And then I'll go into my princess's room, KP, and I'll pull the cover back over her foot, and I'll take my finger and just rub it down the center of her foot, and she'll jerk it back. It's kind of fun, so I do it a couple times. (laughs) Just to make sure she's okay. And here's the truth. At night, I can't even go to bed without making sure my kids are okay. And here's, here's the truth. If there was anything wrong with them, I would do everything in my power to make it okay. And you understand that. And God looks at your life and my life and he goes, you matter more to me than that. And the proof is, is that he gave up Jesus so that you can know eternity and know him in relationship. That's how much your life matters. And so he says, don't live your whole life neglecting the worth of your soul. He says, but rather live wisely. What does it mean to live wisely? That you understand how valuable your eternity is to the God who was committed to you. There's a second thing. Not only does your life matter, but your time is short. Write that down. I know that's an encouraging uh, thought this morning. But your life is short, and so is mine. Look at what it says in verse 16. It says that we should make the most of every opportunity we have. Why? Because the days are evil. We live in an evil time. Y'all didn't need me to come here this morning to share with you that message. You can just turn on the news, scroll through your feed on the internet, you can uh, watch what's going on in the world today and know that we live in a corrupt generation, an intercorrupt corrupt world. And by the way, it's probably only going to get worse. But when this was written, don't be surprised, it was a time of persecution. It was a time of corruptness in the world in which it was written. So nothing's changed other than time. Sins in the world, therefore we're gonna live in an evil generation. It's just part of it. And, and so he says, because the days are evil and because things are bad and our lives, we're not guaranteed another second, another day, another hour, the Bible says our lives are like a vapor. They're here one second and gone the next. And he said, because the days are evil all around us and because things are progressively getting worse and the return of Christ is imminent, He says, you've got to make the most of every opportunity you have. So those that don't know Christ, you need to share with them. If you haven't dealt with your sin situation, you need to deal with it. If there's someone you need to help, you need to help them, whatever it looks like. Why? Because the days are evil. And your time is short. And he calls us to make the most of every opportunity we have. When I became a Christian, my youth pastor threw me on a bus. I didn't grow up in the church, but when I became a believer, I started going to church. And my youth pastor stuck me on a bus. He said, Chris, we're gonna go to Dallas to a Christian conference. Now, I didn't know what that was. All I knew is there was a bus of, of, of teenagers going to Dallas, and I was a teenager, And he told me pretty girls were going. So I got on the bus. Real talk. We go to Dallas. I jump off the bus. We go into this arena where they play basketball. And they gave me a big old notebook. And they said, Chris, this weekend, there's going to be a speaker. He said, and this notebook is this thick, and it's all filled in the blanks. And we want you to fill in all the blanks this weekend. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I'm not a real big fill in the blank guy. Okay. I'm not a big school guy. I mean, I love school. Don't get me wrong. I have a master's and all that. I get all that, but I'm just, it wasn't my thing. And nor was I very interested in that in the time. But while I was not interested in jotting down notes from the speaker, and here I am talking to you today, asking you to take notes, but I love music. Now I can't sing and I won't attempt. I want y'all to stay till the end. But I can't tell you a thing that speaker said all weekend, but I can tell you the first Christian song I ever heard. And here's, here were the words to that song. It said, you can act phony, fooling all your friends, but you can't hide anything from him. He knows your heart and what's there within. No, you can't, no, you can't fool God. Here's the chorus. You can't fool God, you try and you fail. You can't fool God. He knows you too well. He knows everything about you to the last detail. No, you can't. No, you can't fool God. You know what my thought was? Uh Uh-oh. He knows. He, He knew if I was in a committed relationship with him or not. He knew where I was, and I could fool everyone on that bus that day, everyone in that arena. I could fool my parents. I could fool my Sunday school teacher, but I wasn't going to fool him. And by the way, he knows you too. What's your commitment to God look like this morning? Do you understand that you're... Life matters. Do you understand that your time is short? But he says one last thing here. Look at what it says in verse 17. Paul says, therefore, do not be foolish. I love that. He says, but understand what the Lord's will is for your life. This is Paul trying to get our attention. This is coach speak. Have you ever had a coach say, don't be dumb? Have you ever had a coach say, hey, listen to me? This is what Paul's doing. He's saying, I need your attention. This is the most important thing. I need you to pay attention. In the context of the scripture, it means don't neglect your duty. He says, hey, don't be foolish. And here's the thing he wants you to understand. He says, but we have got to understand what the Lord's will is for our lives. See, guys, not only does your life matter, not only is your time short, but we are to seek God with all that we are. We are to seek God with all that we are. Now, we've made God's will a spooky, mysterious thing. Now, I do believe, listen, I want you to hear what I'm about to say. I do believe there are things we need to fast and pray over to seek his will over that may not be revealed for a very long time. I believe that. But God's will, in essence, for every human being is very, very simple. The first part of his will for all of us is that we would be in a committed relationship with him. That we have dealt with our sin situation And we have asked and we've repented of our sins and asked for that forgiveness. And we have walked into a relationship with him which guarantees our eternity in heaven one day. That's first and foremost. The second part of his will is not only are we in a committed relationship with him, but it's a growing committed relationship. My spiritual maturity should look a lot different when I'm 46 years old versus when I'm 14 years old. I should be growing in my commitment, my understanding and knowledge of the word as I spend time with him and talk to him through prayer and seek him through the word of God and serve him with my life. But the third part of his will is not only are we supposed to be in a committed relationship with him, but this growing committed relationship leads to us making God known with how we live. That's why Paul says, be very careful how you live. And so here he is. He says, hey, your life matters. Your time is short, but here's the most important thing you should be seeking God with all that you are in that committed relationship, growing in that committed relationship, and living it out. I'm going to close with this this morning. um, travel and speak at student camps, as I told you earlier, and um, I was speaking at this one camp a couple years ago up in Tennessee. I just flew in from Tennessee. I've been there 11 days with Long Hollow Baptist Church, and I was sitting on the front pew, front chairs. We don't really have pews in these camps, but I was sitting in the front chair, and right before they let the crowd in, um, the doors bust open over my left shoulder, and in walked 60 big people. Now, athletes, not basketball players. I know the difference because I work with basketball players. They're tall like me. But these guys walked in. They were walking like this, all swole, kind of grunting as they walked. I mean, they had, like, muscles in their earlobes. I was like, how'd they get those? But it didn't take me long to figure out it was a football team from Smyrna High School, 6A public school outside of Nashville. And one of the coaches on their coaching staff was a member of the church that I was there serving that week. and The coach scholarship the entire football team to come to camp. Now, football coaches don't make very much money, by the way, especially at the high school level. I thought that was pretty good use of his salary. And I was sitting here as they walked in, and I thought, God, could you save that football team? And I'm in the middle of my talk that night, like we are right now. And the biggest guy on that football team stood up in the middle of me talking. I didn't ask him to do anything, he just stood up. Six foot six, big human being, long dreads, kind of mean looking. And as I'm talking, he works his way to the aisle and he starts walking toward me. Now listen, Here was the thought I had. God, if he's going to kill me, make it quick. Because <laughs> I didn't know what was going on. He walked all the way to the front, just where the floor is right there. I was on a stage and he stood in front of the stage and he folded his arms and looked back at the crowd. My next thought was, God, thank you for the bodyguard. And I kept preaching. We got to the end of the night. And I asked people to commit their lives to Jesus. God moved. We're thankful for all that. He does all that. But I was curious why this young man was standing here, this big person. So I jumped on the floor. And I took this little microphone and I bent it out. Sound guys hate it when you do that, by the way. I bent it out. And I said, hey, man. I had to look up to him. I said, what's your name? He said, my name's Steve Wilson. Well, yes, you are. I said, Steve, can you tell me why you came down here tonight? And in front of the whole, there was about 1,000 people there. In front of that whole crowd, he looked at me and he said, I realized tonight my whole life, I've been committed to something that not gonna last forever. He's talking about a sport. Hey, I'm a sports guy. Nothing wrong with sports. Nothing wrong about being passionate about your job. Nothing wrong about being passionate about a relationship. You understand what I'm saying to you? But he said, I realize tonight it's not gonna last forever. He said, but I'm ready to commit my life to God because I know that lasts forever. And that night, I led Steve Wilson to Christ right there. And that was on a Monday night at camp, first night. And by Thursday night at camp, 49 of those 60 football players had committed their lives to Jesus. Now, here's what the church does Oh, that's a camp pie. Oh, that's not real. Isn't that awful? They go back to Smyrna, Tennessee, and they start meeting and having a Bible study every week with the coach. Coach calls me at the end of the summer. Says, hey, would you mind on Thursday nights after our walkthroughs, if we could, this is back in the day, Skype you in. This is old school version of Zoom. And can you lead the team in a Bible study every Thursday night? I was living in Dallas there in Tennessee. I'm like, absolutely. They went undefeated that year. I was alone for the ride. I, I was just watching from afar. But these guys were on fire for Jesus. They were leading their friends to Christ. I mean, it was just crazy what was going on. And they got to the state championship game, and they lost. And I remember I... I called Steve the next morning because I listened to it. And I'm trying to pump him up. I'm trying to be an encouraging guy, right? You know, hey, Steve, bro, think about the great year y'all have had. Think about what God has shown you. Think about, you know, you know I just tried to make it better, right? He goes, Coach, they call me Coach. He said, it's okay. He said, am I mad we lost? Yeah. Do I wish we could play it again right now and do it over? Yeah. I mean, you know, we just kind of walked through it. He said, but it doesn't change who I'm committed to and who's committed to me. And on a much smaller level, if anyone had the right to be in his feelings that morning, it was him. If anyone had the right to be mad at their circumstances, it could have been him on that morning. If anyone's emotions could have been out of check that day, it could have been him. But in spite of losing the biggest game of the year, which to a high school student is everything, in spite of things not going his way, the only thing he wanted to talk about was his commitment to Christ. And you'd say, well, Chris, you don't know what I've been through this morning. And you know what? Probably don't. But do you want to know what one of the greatest things about being a believer in Jesus Christ is? Outside of the forgiveness of your sins and that salvation, do you you want to know? Is that you'll never walk through anything in this life alone again. He's going to walk with you through it all, good and bad, and everything in between. Because when you commit to Him, that's where He takes you to Joshua chapter 1 verse 9. He says, don't be discouraged. Don't be dismayed. He said, but rather be strong and courageous for wherever you go, the Lord your God shall go with you. And then you go to Matthew chapter 28 and you read the Great Commission and He tells him to go ye into all the world and to preach the gospel and to make disciples and to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything I've commanded to you. And then He says this, and surely I I will be with you till the very end of it all. See, that is a promise from God. And that's why he says, don't be so busy. Don't be so distracted that you don't understand and that you don't forget that your life matters. That your time is short and that we should be seeking God with all that we are. What about you this morning? Have you been busy? Have you been distracted? Just something to think about because this morning I believe that there are people in this room that haven't committed their lives to Jesus and haven't dealt with their sin situation. And this morning I wanna give you an opportunity To commit your life to Jesus there's some in this room that say Chris I know God I've committed my life to God but I've been so distracted I'm not where I need to be right now with the Lord you need to renew your commitment to Christ I was preaching three weeks ago in North Carolina and one of the counselors jumped a grown man jumped out of the crowd and committed his life to Christ right there Because he realized he'd been trying to do it on his own his whole life. And the only way he was getting into a relationship with Jesus in heaven one day was to repent of his sins and to beg forgiveness and to give his life and commit it over to God. What about you? Because I know this, God looks at you and he says, you matter. I'm gonna ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. And here in a minute, I'm gonna pray. And after I pray, you're gonna be free to leave. And if you need to make a decision of any kind this morning, after I pray, there's a hospitality room out in the foyer that I would ask you to stop by or you're welcome to come see me after the service as well, I'll be available down front. We'd love to talk to you about what it looks like to commit your life to Christ. About what it looks like to renew your commitment to Him. And so this morning before I pray, I wanna give you an opportunity to recognize where you are. And some of you are in here this morning, you say, Chris, I I haven't committed my life to Christ. And I need to deal with my sin situation. You say, I haven't done it, but man, I want to. And if that's you this morning, with no one looking but me, when I count to three, I'm going to ask you to do something very, very simple. I'm not going to make you go anywhere. I'm not going to make you stand up or do anything. But if you're in here this morning and you say, Chris, I need to commit my life to Christ. When I count through, I just want you to put your hand up and put it down real quick. And here's the thing. You can fool everyone in here. But God knows exactly where you are right now. And so this morning, if you're in here and you say, Chris, you just pray for me. I need to commit my life to Christ. I haven't done that, but I want to. I count three, We just stick your hand up and put it down real quick? Ready? One, two, three. You do that? Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Awesome. Just a couple more seconds. Anyone else, just put your hand up and put it down real quick. see thank you awesome and in the same way if you're in here this morning you say chris man I I've committed my life to Christ but I've just been busy just kind of like the people at this church in the book of Ephesians you say man I've just been distracted I'm just not where I need to be and I want to renew my commitment to Christ I want to make it like it's brand new all over again when I count three would you just lift your hand and put it down ready one Two, three, can you do that real quick if that's you? Awesome. Anybody else say that's me? Very good. Just a couple more seconds. I'm gonna pray for y'all now. Thank you for your honesty. Dear God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. And dear Lord, thank you that we matter so much to you that you couldn't let us stay the way we were. But you gave us a way out of our sin situation, dear God, where we can know you in an intimate relationship that ends in heaven one day. Dear Lord, I I pray for those in this room that signified that they need to commit their lives to you. I pray that they would not leave here this morning without doing that that they could just receive your forgiveness and feel freedom like never before. Dear God, I pray for those who signify that they need to renew their commitment to you. I pray that they would do that without, before they leave this morning as well. And dear Lord, as we all leave this morning, remind us, a commitment really has nothing to do with our feelings or our emotions, but it has everything to do with us doing what we say we're gonna do. Lord, thank you for being committed to us. It's in your name that we pray.